It's a good reminder that he makes all things new, that things become new in him. I remember when um, I was on the other side of, of, um, of that, of having all things become new. And one of the things that you know, people are talking about having this relationship with Christ, and um, it was a little foggy to me still. It, was, it wasn't quite clear. It wasn't something that I um, understood fully, certainly. And uh, it's something I struggled with for a little bit because I, I was pretty content with, with what I would have said was, uh, I wouldn't have called it a relationship with God. I was pretty content with my religion, I guess I would say. And, uh, you know, as, as uh, time went on and people explained a little bit more about this relationship with Christ, I was a little hesitant. All things made, you know, being made new, as Anastasia was singing, you know, that, that's true. I wasn't so sure I needed all things to be made new in my life at that point. I wasn't sure I wanted all things uh, made new. I had, I had a lot of friends, and one of my concerns was that I wasn't going to have, um, I wasn't going to have, I would lose my friends. That was one of my concerns, that if I came into a relationship with Christ, if I got serious about living for Him, if I got serious about, uh, about uh, being God's person, uh, that um, I would lose my friends. Because the friends I had, and even my life at that point, wasn't exactly what you'd call conducive, wasn't in sync with what, uh, even at that point, even what I thought it should be for somebody who who claimed to have a relationship to Christ. Uh, a lot of my choices, a lot of my activities were uh, not driven by, uh, by a relationship to Christ. They were driven more by, well, what pleased me, what I wanted to do. You know, and that, and that, was, the, you know, that was the gist, that was the, 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 the main focus of, of what was going on. I grew up in a neighborhood with tons of kids. It was a baby boomer generation and the babies had boomed. And, you know, so there were, a, there were a lot of kids in our neighborhood. I was thinking through it uh, last night. Uh, well, not last night. D- during the week, I was thinking through this uh, a little bit. And I, boy, the only ones I can think of in our neighborhood that didn't have uh, kids in their home were because they were grandparents. And their kids had grown up and were out of their homes. Uh, you know, the, uh, but most of, most of the homes had kids. So there were just tons of kids in our neighborhood. And... And they were we we were friends. I mean, we were friends and acquaintances. We knew each other because we all lived in the same neighborhood. We didn't all hang out together because there was way too many of us. And you know, then then the little intricacies of friendship of what bonds you together were certainly more present with some than with others. Uh, so. You know, the, the, the friends were just an important part of life growing up, and it was an important part of, of what was going on. Um, several years after my father left, we lost our home and we had to move, and we moved across town. Uh, and as we moved across town, that was uh, a little bit, I, I didn't drive at that point. I was, it was the summer between my seventh and eighth grade year in school. And, um, but one of the big troubles, part, big problems for me was I was leaving my friends. I was not only changing neighborhoods, I was changing schools, and not only changing schools, I was changing school districts. So the, the school district that I grew up in it was not even the school district I was going to be attending school in. Well, 
I rode my bike back to the old neighborhood, you know, and that's what, that's what I did. I spent a lot of time riding, you know, back and forth between where I live now and wanting to see my friends because really one, you know, one of the things about friends was, uh, you know, you wanted to be with them. And then when I got to the point where I could drive, well, a whole new world opened up, you know, as a, as a whole thing. I mean, it was much together then it was much easier, you know, to be together. Um, you know, boundaries were gone. And, uh, you know, friends, you know, friends, friends came along. Now, um, what makes what makes people friends rather than simply acquaintances are the fact that friends are connected. You know, friends connect and they, they connect in a lot of different ways. First, we were connected because we lived in the same neighborhood that made connections easy. You know, it's pretty easy when you live in the same neighborhood, when you get up and you go out and they're all there. Uh, that makes connections pretty easy. But as I grew up, then we put in an effort to stay connected. You know, we had more of an effort there. I didn't want to lose that connection. One of the things I found, though, when I came into a relationship with, with Christ was that um, I, got, I got even more friends. You know, I mean, I had, I had a good number of friends to begin with, but I, I got even more friends, people that I uh, was connected with now in a different way and, on a different, and for different reasons. And I was connected with them, and I wanted to stay connected. I wanted that, you know, I, I wanted that connection. Now, all of you know what I'm talking about with friends and wanting to be connected with friends, because even as I was talking about growing up and having friends, different people came to your mind. You know, people came to mind who were friends of yours and who you grew up with and people who were in your neighborhood or maybe you went to school with. And, you know, and so those, those pictures come to mind, uh, you know, and, and, you know, even now I have, you know, I have people I want to stay connected with. And I look around the room here and I see friends and I see people that I want to stay connected with, you know, that I want that connection to be there. Um, you know, that's an important thing. Let's pray. We're going to take a little bit, a uh, little bit more of a look at this whole idea of, of friendship a bit more. Father, thank you for the friends that you've given me. Thank you for the friends that have helped me not only come to know you, but grow in you. And um, I'm very grateful for that. And many of them are here. Many of these people have helped me grow over the years. Uh, and I've been able to see Christ in them and been able to see a little bit more what it means to be a friend. They've gone out of their way for me. Uh, they, have, they have continued to want to be connected with me even at times in which, well, I wasn't a very good friend. So I thank you, Father. Teach us now as we look into your word. Help us to see what it means not only to have friends here, but what it means to have friendship with you. Because really that's the most important one that we want to look at today. The most important one we want to think about. And how that also influences and affects all that you have given us. So, Lord, to you we want to open ourselves up and give this time in a way that perhaps um, we, we uh, don't during the week. Uh, that we might be able to pay a little bit more attention to you as our minds drift. Bring us back. Bring us back to think about you and to connect with you and to understand a little bit more of your word and your truth. So thank you for this time together, Father. And just do, do things of touching each individual life as you know and as you can do, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. As we've been going through, uh, you know, we've been we've been doing a series uh, and also reading a book by Dane Ortland with that. And he had a couple of passages this week, um, you know, and I was torn between which ones we would look at. But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 11. So if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 11, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 895. Um, if you do it on your phone or something, you know, flip to wherever that is. Uh, when we began this series... 
Uh, four or five weeks ago, we began this series in Matthew chapter 11 when we were looking there. And then we were looking at verses 25 through 30, and we were seeing that Jesus uh, very clearly cares. When we say he cares, what we mean by that is it's part of his heart. It's part of who he is. It's part of the reality of him being being uh, God that he is, being the Savior that he is. Uh, today we're going to be a little bit earlier in the, in the chapter. There we're going to be in verse 16 through 19. Um, you know, we're going to see here, you know, that, that it shows us that he connects. You know, he connects with us. That's, that's part of who he is. He wants to connect. It's, it's not just... It's not just a, um, a casual thing. It's, it's not just, it's part of what drives him, part of him being God. Now, if you recall four weeks ago at the beginning of this chapter, uh, if you look up a little bit earlier in the chapter, you see at the beginning, John the Baptist is in prison and he hears about all that Jesus was doing. So John sends some of his, John the Baptist sends some of his remaining disciples to Jesus to ask him if he was indeed the Messiah. Now, you know, bad times can mess with your mind. You know, bad times can mess with your mind. Being in prison, I would count that as a bad time. Uh, you know, the uh, I, I've never been in prison. The only time I was ever close to arrested was uh, with Ginny. Uh, when... Hey, it's just a fact. Uh, before we were married and um, she wrecked my car and didn't have a driver's license. But I, I you know, um, so I had to go to the police station with her because she didn't have a driver's license and she wrecked my car. Uh, you know, and so anyway, um, you know, that was just a very short, brief thing. And, uh, you know, really, we weren't there very long. But um, I think being in prison could really mess with you. Uh, but bad times have a way of messing with you when you don't have to be in prison. You know, any bad time, any bad time you have, particularly when you're facing something that isn't over in a day, you know, something that continues on and it continues on and and it can really begin to mess with your mind. And you could begin to wonder, does, does God even care sometimes? Is he even listening? And we can begin we can begin to go down that that hole really uh, and it's a it's a very it's a very tough spot to be well this is where John was now John the Baptist he was pretty clear at Jesus baptism he was pretty clear on who Jesus was he was pretty clear of of him knowing who Jesus was he said you know i i shouldn't be baptizing you you should be baptizing me even after his baptism, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, he refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. In John chapter 1, he, as Jesus is coming, he says, you know, he refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was very clear before he was in prison, before he hit that dark spot, before he hit that place where it was a struggle you know, and, and, it was a, and it was a battle, he was pretty clear on who he felt Jesus was. And here in Matthew chapter 11... He sends his disciples to Jesus, say, are you, are you Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Because he was beat down a little bit. He was, well, more than a little bit. Did he know that his life was going to be taken from him? He knew it was a possibility. Well, Jesus tells John's disciples to go back and tell John about the miracles that they've seen Jesus do. 
He said these miracles, and the miracles that he lists there are miracles that the prophets had said the Messiah would be doing, the Messiah would be performing. So he's telling him, you know, tell him, tell him, tell John, reassure John. Let him know all of what I've been doing is exactly what the prophets had said would be happening. And then Jesus tells the crowd about the importance of John the Baptist's ministry among them in preparing the way before Jesus, in preparing you know, the way for Jesus and his ministry. You know, throughout their history, the ministry of the prophets was not always accepted. In fact, very often it wasn't accepted. They killed many of the prophets. The prophets, one of the things the prophets did quite often as you look through there, when we say prophets, sometimes we always think of somebody standing up there and proclaiming a brand new thing. Most often what you saw the prophets is the prophets called God's people back to being God's people. They most often said, look, you folks said, you know, that you were God's. You said that you're God's people. Start living like God's people then. That's that's the biggest ministry of the prophets as you look through the Old Testament even. And here you, you see that happening. You see that happening with John the Baptist. He was rejected. You know, they rejected they rejected his ministry. But Jesus here says that John ministered in line with the prophets. Then he goes on. Verse 16. Follow along. He says, to what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. For John did not come eating and drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Now, Jesus here, he compares the way that people continually searched for miracles. Notice what he does at the beginning, you know, in verses 16, 17. He's comparing the way that they that people, you know, searched for miracles to children wanting to be entertained. To children wanting things their way. Now, you know, certainly there are still people that go to God with their own agenda, their own idea of how things should go. If we're honest, we all go to God to let him know the way we think things ought to be. We go with God, we go to God and and we tell him, you know, one time or another, uh, this is how things should be, Lord. Part of what we see here, what Jesus is telling us is that it's childish. That's a childish way to come to God. It's childish to expect God to do as you ask. You know, he said, well, it says in Scripture, you know, ask for whatever you want. Uh, You know, uh, God will give you the desires of your heart. And, And I believe that's true. But I think we're misunderstanding that. When he says that God will give you the desires of your heart, he's not saying that God is the, you know, is the, uh, is the, you know, the, the genie in a lamp that when we go and we rub him with prayer that he gives us whatever we want. That's not what he's saying at all. I believe very clearly what he is uh, saying, and I believe very strongly that what he's saying is that when you go to God and you pray, that God will give you the desires of your heart. 
God will put the desires in your heart. He will begin to change and transform those desires of your heart so you can know Him better, so that you can understand Him better. And the desires of your heart are what He's giving you. He is giving you that, those new desires that are there. My desires have changed quite a bit from before I came into a relationship with Christ, and they needed to change quite a bit. Now, there are some that I would tell you they didn't necessarily need to change, perhaps, but they have changed. They have changed because I have seen more and more of the reality of who God is. Because I have been able to see, you know, a little bit, a, a little bit better, a little bit more clearly. Now, you know, let me ask you, you know, when you pray, are you expressing, are you expressing your heart to God? It, it, which I think is what we should do. But are you expressing your heart to God and asking Him to guide you in the way that you should go? Or are you expressing your heart to God and telling Him the things you want Him to do? There's quite a difference there. There's quite a difference there. There's quite a difference between going to God and expressing your heart to Him and then looking for Him to give you the guidance on how you should go and how you should proceed. Because you see then what I'm going to do then is I am going to change my way to line up with God because I have learned that that's the best way to go. There's a big difference between that and going to God and laying it out there and saying, God, this is what I want. Do it. Now, we would say, please do it, but um, as if God works for us, as if God is the one who should be taking his direction from us rather than us taking our direction from God. There's a huge difference between those two. There's a you know, huge thing. You know, it's childish to expect God to do as you want. I remember, you know, raising our kids and now, the, you know, what a blast to have grandchildren now. And we had some of them with us this weekend, Friday and yesterday. We'll have some with us today. And um, a discussion usually comes up with them, you know, on um, they let, let us know what they would like. Even on the simple things. Um, you know, yesterday, uh, well, Caleb had spent the night with us, and Caleb and Luke, and Caleb was the first one up, and he came out, and... Uh, was getting ready he was going to have something to eat he went in the pantry and he came out and he said can i have peeps <laughs> that was what he asked for for breakfast how wise would it have been for me to say mm, whatever you say buddy can i go get you more you see and now we chuckle at that, but don't we go to God sometimes and say, I want peeps. You know, we want what we want, not always what we should have, not always what is good for us. We want sometimes what we want because of fill in the blank. There's lots of different reasons. 
you know, but to go to God and to ask him to guide us and ask him to give us the, the, the direction. You know, our, our relationship with God is not so so that we can tell God what he should do. Our relationship with God is not so we can tell God how he should respond. You know, a relationship with God is about our need for forgiveness. It's about our need for forgiveness. There's several verses in your outline written, just the, 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 uh, the location of the verses are written there for you. One is Romans 3.23. You know, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. How many? All. Every single one. Every single person has sinned. And by sinning, then we fall short of what God has for us. By, by sinning, we fall short of, of what God has there for us. And it goes on. It says, you know, Romans 6.23. It's also listed in there. It says, the wages of sin is death. So if you want to get what you've earned, the wages of sin is death. The main death that's talked about there is separation from God. Separation from God due to sin. God told Adam and Eve, you know, when you sin, you will surely die. Satan came and said, you will not. No, you won't. So they sinned, and what did they do? They died. They were separated from God. That separation from God. I think the worst part of hell, you know, you know, people talk about hell being burning fire and all this. I think the worst part of hell is the separation from God. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, it says in Romans 6.23. Romans 3.24, again, it's listed there for you. It says, we are justified, justified, declared not guilty. We are declared not guilty by God, freely by His grace, it says, through, by, by means of the redemption, that payment for our sin. That's what Christ did on the cross. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that sacrifice on the cross. We, what we have is our, a need for forgiveness. That that's what a relationship with God is about. It's about our need for forgiveness and it's about our need for guidance. We need guidance. Again, there's a couple of other verses listed for you there. James chapter 1 verse 5, which says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. You know what I like about that verse? Well, not only that, he promises to give us wisdom, but let me read it for you again. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and without criticizing. God gives us wisdom without criticizing. Part of my, part of my nature, part of my wiring is... I can tell you how we can do this better. So something goes on and something happens and it's great, you know, but then I, I you know, I always see this is how we can do this better. So, you know, pray for Jenny because she has to live with me. And, you know, it's, it's um, this morning she was getting a ham ready and I, <laughs> I gave her a few pointers. Uh, you know, but the, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's just, just the, the thing there, the, the, whole, the whole picture, the reality there, you know, of the guidance we need. He says uh, that he will give to all generously without criticizing. Man, I certainly need to be more like him. Proverbs chapter 2 says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding, 
See, directing our heart toward understanding, not in asking God to do what we want, but in asking you know, to direct our hearts toward understanding. Furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift up your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth. Come knowledge and understanding. How foolish to think that we can go to God and tell him how it should be. How foolish to think we can go to God and tell him what's best. Go to God for forgiveness and guidance. Look again, Matthew chapter 11. Look at verse 18 there. It says, For God did not come eating and drinking. God. For John did not come eating and drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. They didn't like John because John was too different. You know, he, he, he wasn't like them at all. He, you know, he looked different than everybody else. He ate different foods than they were comfortable with. Uh, his, and then he ate different foods than I'd be comfortable with too. Uh, but his message was different than the traditions that they practiced. Matthew chapter 3 says, In those days, John the Baptist preached in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent! Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. John himself had a camel hair garment. I always think of that as old wool clothing. You know, not the new wool that is easy to put on, but the old wool clothing, which was a little stickly, prickly, um, and he didn't want to wear. Had a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. I've never eaten a locust. I've never had a desire to eat locusts. I just, it's not on my list of things I ever want to do. So he ate locusts and wild honey. It says, Then the people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were flocking to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the place of his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers. Got to love this guy. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn up with fire that never goes out. You see, John looked rough, and his message was rough. His message was hard for them to hear. 
Sometimes it is hard for us to hear the things of God. And it was hard for them to hear. Look, he called them to repent. He called them to change their direction in life. Does that sound to you like we go to God and tell him to conform his way to ours? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about repentance. To change their direction in life. To understand that their direction is not a direction that was taking them anywhere they needed to go. Anywhere that they would want to go. To repent and change direction. And they were Jews. You see, so tradition and ancestry meant a lot to them. He says, you know, you'll say, well, we have Abraham as our father. And what he's telling them is, you know, God could raise up children from the rocks. You see, no one is grandfathered into a relationship with God. You're not grandfathered into that. You are not a Christian because your parents are Christians. You know, that, that is not the connection. A relationship with Christ is something that each person enters into on their own. My children are not, are, not, are not Christians because their father is a pastor. I remember uh, the uh, um, Cheers uh, and Carla, the uh, barmaid in Cheers, um, got uh, one time was she was thrilled because her son was uh, thinking of becoming a priest. And she says, and I've got it in. You, you, you know, you see, you're not you're not a Christian because your parents are Christians. You're not a Christian because your kids are Christians. That's a, it's individually you come to Christ on your own. You do what he says there. You repent. You turn and you turn, you know, away from your own ideas of what you thought was going to get you uh, to God. And you turn to God to what? To look his way. Again, we don't ask him to to do things our way. We come to him and say, Lord, what is the way? You know, what is what is West? And, and you know, this is this is the, 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 the picture, you know, that that he gives us there. You know, and you're, you come to that relationship with him individually. I have friends, you know, I have some friends who who are friends because I'm connected to Ginny. You know, or I'm connected to my kids. And that's how, that was my connection with these people. You know, it was 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 through, you know, through someone else and I got connected to them, you know, because of my wife, because one of my children were connected to them. I was brought into a relationship because they had that relationship. But that's not how it works with God. Nobody comes into a relationship with Christ because they're connected to their parents or their spouse or their children. You come to Christ on your own. You come to Christ individually. You come to Christ and make that relationship with him. Now, Jesus said that they accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They meant this as a bad thing. You see, they meant this as, as, as a negative thing. They meant this as an insult. They meant this as a derogatory comment, that he would be a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In their minds, there was, okay, if you haven't finished your taxes, they're due on Monday. Tax collector, you couldn't be much worse than a tax collector, except in their mind to be a sinner. And by sinner, they meant, you know, a Gentile. They meant somebody who wasn't connected to God, somebody who wasn't part of the, you know, we are, we're part of Abraham's race. Somebody who wasn't that. And so, you see, they picked the two worst things they could think of. You you know, for us, it's something different. And, you know, that we have a lot of different things that, you know, we think are, are, are the worst sinners. They picked out the two that they thought were the worst sinners. And they, and they you know, this is how they associated Jesus. This is the, the picture they give of him, and, you know, there. And they mean it as an insult. 
And then, you know, what they noticed was that Jesus was connected with. He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That word, you know, that, that word, it, it's deeper than an acquaintance. It speaks of a connection that's there. It speaks of, you know, it's not just that you were, that you were there with them, but you were connected with them. That's their complaint. Their complaint was that he connected himself with tax collectors and sinners. The word that's used for friend there, it means loved, dear, or friendly. This uh, implies this connection. It was a word, it was, it was a word who was, uh, that was used on behalf of one who would go on the bridegroom's behalf to ask if he could marry this woman. Now, to us, that's a foreign concept. You know, but it's, it's not foreign in some parts of the world. You know, in some parts of the world, if you're going to be married, and we're not, even, now we're not talking about arranged marriages here. What we're talking about is you see this girl and you go, Ooh, I'd like to marry her. And then I get a buddy to come and plead my case, not to her, but to her parents. You see, and this is this is a common this is a common thing. I remember when Martin and Hilda were with us, and they were telling us about about uh, Martin was telling us about when he proposed to Hilda. Well, that wasn't he didn't propose. This is what he did. He took a friend who was his intermediary, and his, this intermediary went there and sat down with Hilda's parents and grandparents, I believe, and pleaded, made the case for him to be able to marry her. This is the this is the word that's used here when it when he says that he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He is the one who goes and pleads that case. He is the one who intercedes. He is the one who is there. That who, this is a, a companion who goes the distance with you. They're connected. They're connected, and they're going to go all the way. You know now. Dane Ortland mentioned in his book, you know, I, I think we can all identify with this too, you know, all earthly friendships have their limits. They do. You know, they have their limits. Uh, there, are, there are actions which will break that friendship, no matter how close, no matter how solid you think that is. I hope that you don't, but perhaps you have had a friendship in the past that you thought they were, you were going to be friends for life, and then they did something that you would classify as stupid, hurtful, unfriendly. That seems a little gentle of a word, doesn't it? But they did something that broke that bond, that broke that relationship. You see, and that's what we have on this earth. We have limits. We all have limits there. We'd like to say we, we, we don't, you know, but, but unfortunately, um, we, we do have limits on them. And what he's saying here is Jesus is that companion. He is that, he's that friend who is connected and won't let go of you. He won't cut you off. He, he won't, no matter what goes on, he is not going to, he is not going to abandon you. You know, he is a friend who is involved with us. He is a friend who knows us thoroughly and still loves us. He knows us completely. And still loves us. He knows all of those things that we'd love to keep hidden. He knows all those things that we don't even want to tell our spouse about. And he still loves us. He knows what we struggle with and what we battle with. And he is still willing to be involved with us. 
He knows us thoroughly and he wants us to know him. He, he opens himself up to us. John chapter 15, this is a, a passage that comes after the Last Supper and before the crucifixion. In those, in those hours that they had as they walked, as they left that, that meal together and made their way to the garden where he was arrested and then and ended up being crucified. And these, those hours in between, and this is part of what he says to him. He says, no greater love, uh, no one has greater love than this. That someone would lay down his life for his friends. He was about to do that. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you slaves anymore. Because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends. Because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You see, he connects with us and he wants us to connect with him. He wants us to connect with him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to, to understand more who He is. He knows us more thoroughly than we know ourselves. And He wants us to know Him more thoroughly than we know Him now. He wants us to grow in Him. He wants to connect with us. He wants to have that relationship. One of the events that happened after the resurrection shows, I think, a little bit of this heart of His um, you know, it, you know, we read John chapter 20 a little earlier in the service. John chapter 21, turn there. John chapter 21, page 1001 in the Pew Bible. A little bit longer passage we're going to read here. John chapter 21, this is after the resurrection. And it's really after a time where, you see, before the crucifixion, they were used to walking every day with Jesus. They were used to being with him. They were used to, you know, we got up and guess what? We're together with Jesus and we're walking through this day together, literally seeing him, being with him. And this is what they're used to. Well, now after the resurrection, Jesus was transitioning them, if you will, to get to the place where they were taking over the ministry. And he wasn't with them every single moment of every day as they were beforehand. And they struggle a little bit. Look at verse 1, John chapter 21, verse 1. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples. So there's a good number of them there. They were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. Now, remember, Simon Peter was a fisherman. So when he's saying, I'm going fishing, he's not just saying, I'm taking a day off, you know, and I'm going fishing. When we go fishing, I, I, I know most of your jobs. I don't think anyone here is a professional fisherman, you see. So when, we, when he says, I'm going fishing, what, you know, in a sense, he's, I'm, I'm going to work. You know, he says, I'm going fishing. Uh, verse 3, pick up again. He says, you know, I'm going fishing. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Men, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? You see, he knew this. He, he knew it. No, they answered. He knew, he knew what they were facing. Verse 6, cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of such a large number of fish. You see, he knew what to do. 
He knew what they were facing and he knew what to do. Verse 7, therefore the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him, for he was stripped, and he plunged into the sea. But since they were not far from land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in a boat dragging the full net of fish. When they got out on land and they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. You see, he was already ready for him. Verse 10, bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter got up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This now was the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, several things stand out to me as I look at this incident, as, as, as I look at this incident here. Uh, several things stood out to me. One was Jesus went where they were. He went where they were. You see, they were out and they decided, well, we're going to go fishing. And he went out there and he went where they were. They had returned to their old lives. They returned to what they did before. They returned to their old occupation. They went back to what was familiar. They went back to what they felt they knew. And he went to where they were. And then he reaches out to them, his friends. He engages them. He approaches them. He takes the first step. He calls out to them. And then he helps them accomplish their task. They didn't have any success all night long. And he gives them a huge haul of fish. You see, they had turned and they had walked away. They had turned and they had, they had gone. They, they didn't know what to do, so they went back to what they were familiar with. They went back to their old way of life, if you will. They went back to kind of like, well, you know, I, I guess we've got to do something. And, uh, and, and what he did is he continues to connect with them. He does the same for us today. He does the same thing for us today. He meets us where we are. We do not have to get things right before we come to Him. Please, grasp that. We do not have to get things right before we come to Him. He was criticized for being a friend of tax collectors and for being a friend of sinners. I am so very grateful that He is a friend of sinners because... I'm a sinner. He comes. We don't have to get things right. We don't have to get things right before we come to Him. He meets us where we are. And He reaches out to us. He doesn't wait for us to work up the courage. He doesn't wait for us to, you know, have all the right things. And, 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 oh, you didn't pray that right. Try again. That's not what he does. Yeah, he, he reaches out to us and he helps us do. He helps us do all that he's called us to do. He helps us to be all that he has called us to be. He continues to connect with us. He is alive today and continues to connect with us. This is a picture of him after the resurrection. And he is out there. He is out there meeting with his disciples. He's out there connecting with them. The heart of Jesus You know, he cares, he understands, he persists, he intercedes, and he connects. He connects with us. Friend 
of sinners. One who wants to connect with those who need him. One who wants to be with those that others might walk away from. That friend of sinners that he connects with each and every one. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have reached out to connect with us. That you have reached out and, and transformed our lives. That you, uh, when we open ourselves up to you, Father, you don't turn us away. You accept us. You love us. You help us to be. You help us to get beyond those struggles that we're in the midst of. You help us to find not always what we think we need, but what you know we need. That forgiveness and new life, that only comes in a relationship with you. That only comes as we repent, as we let go of our own way of trying to connect with you. That we let go of our own way of trying to reach you. And that you accept us, sinners. Sinners who come and are forgiven because of the sacrifice of Christ. Don't let us continue to struggle on our own, Father. Don't let us continue to think that you owe something to us. You have given us more than we deserve. You have given us that opportunity for life and new life with you. Help us to realize it, walk in it, live in it, rejoice in what you have done. Help us to rejoice in the connection that we have with you. With thanks we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.